we are going to be uncovering some untold riches. Let's do this. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. As I mentioned a little bit earlier during our pre-show, I feel like hell because my six-year-old got me sick again. And uh, to top that off, my one-year-old is asleep upstairs, so I can't be in my office because I'm too loud and boisterous when I am talking on the podcast. So I'm down in the podcast dungeon, a.k.a. my creepy uh, McAllister basement from Home Alone uh, with actual furnace stove that is genuinely creepy. Uh, but I'm in a super cozy lazy boy that I got from my mother-in-law that I'm not allowed to put anywhere else in the house. So at least I get to enjoy that. What about you, Richard? How was your morning? Uh, pretty good. I was supposed to get up and go to the gym with my daughter. We both did not wake up. So nice. we've been texting all morning about, um, how we're kind of both big pieces of shit. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then I woke up, had a bunch of coffee. We had our planning meeting then we had our friday call which was good had some good mm -hmm. presenters you presented melissa oh yes yep our guest today uh so yeah this is cool it's kind of all going together and then after i have like a dinner engagement later and then it's going to be the weekend so happy that that'll be fun yeah so to backtrack welcome everyone guests friends to episode 17 of untold riches with melissa oliver uh, she is a real estate team building luminary, uh, an overall fantastic and engaging woman. And I, for one, cannot wait to to meet her because other than briefing her on our dumb show, I have not really spoken to her before. And she seems like a really cool lady. Richard, uh, what do you? How did you meet Melissa? Not uh, connected with Melissa not that long ago through a fairly new member to our uh, our coaching community. And um, she was formerly this this agent who's a, a member of our group. She was formerly on a very large, successful real estate team. And uh, the director of operations for that team was Melissa. And so when this agent joined the, the coaching group, um, we were working through some things. And she had mentioned that she a former colleague because uh, she had since left that team and uh, was helping the agent with her business. And so we ended up getting connected. We jumped on a call. And in like within 15 minutes, I was like, what a pro. And then I got to know her a little bit better. And she's been helping us with some stuff. She's putting together this conference workshop. Uh, she's going to be presenting at several of our um, uh, upcoming trainings throughout the end of the year. And then just getting to know her, not only on the professional side, but getting to know her a little bit more on the personal side. She's just got a fascinating story. So I know that this will be another, another good one for sure. A good pod for our, uh, for our listeners to, uh, to check out. It'll be, it'll be worth a listen for sure. Without ado, if you watch, so. right. If they watch me and my cozy flannels, you and your hoodie, we are the most comfortable men in real estate. Uh, so without further ado, the wonderful Melissa Oliver. Hello. Hey guys, how are you? Welcome to our dumb show. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. So I, I have to I have to jump in here because I love your reference to the McAllister basement. Thank you. Because that's like my favorite movie. My toxic trait <laughs> oh, is yeah. that I decorate for Christmas exceptionally <laughs> early. Oh wow, that is a but it is lovely. So at least you got it going there. Is it a toxic trait though? Because according to all of my family members. It's pretty early. Well, I'll go show you my Christmas tree. 
or the Christmas tree in my daughter's room or our mantle or the five foot nutcrackers on my front porch. Well, like, when did it go up? It went up uh, that first weekend after. So like the 31st was Monday. So by the what fourth, we put it up on Saturday. Yeah. See, we're kindred spirits then. Did you do it that weekend or did you do it the day after? So I used to, I've all, I've been consistently pushing my boundaries with it. And I used to be like right before Thanksgiving. And then it was November 15th. And then like during, I, I said to my oldest son the other day, which he was joking. And I was just like, the, pan- the pandemic changed everything. So now <laughs> it's November 1st. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I love that you found a good cause for the pandemic. Yeah. You were able to be like, listen, <laughs> well, hold on. I want to know the psychology behind this because I kind of know why my wife does it. Uh-huh. What is it about the decorating and getting into that spirit like sooner rather than later? What do you? Th- well, so a lot of mine's tied to childhood. So my mom was really into Christmas. Like, so it was like a really special time in our house and we went all out. I, um, of one of three girls. So it was like, we all participated in it. And my sister and I used to really decorate our bedroom together. And, um, it's just, I don't know. It's just always been like a special thing. And I, and I love it. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes. (laughs) And it's a lot of work. So why not get started early and enjoy it? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's, that's uh, literally the reason early. my that, wife did it. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, uh, yeah, your mic's yeah, cutting okay. in and out a little bit though. So yeah, I got rid of the other mic. It's not working. I don't know what its problem is. So apologies. It's going to be on this, so it's not going to sound as crisp. But, but I'll talk loud. You guys know what I sound like. Uh, my wife, I think, does it because it just brings her joy. Yeah. Like, Look, why put off joy for a month? I'm going to yeah. do it now. I still will enjoy Thanksgiving. It's not going to change anything. I'm just going to have uh, things that make me feel happier in my heart when I'm in my house for longer. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I, that seems like a reasonable thing. Makes yeah. perfect sense. The only reason we wait is because my wife uh, is sort of obsessed with all of them. So like um, we have the the Halloween giant spider webs with the inflatable things. And now there's the turkey on the front and the apples and dead oranges on the table and the whatever. And then... In another couple of weeks, just right after Thanksgiving, when we get back from our trip to Atlanta, uh, we will be putting up probably between 10 and 15 inflatables. I actually had, this is a true story, we moved into our new house two years ago. We upped our game because we have like an acre, and it just really started to explode, and we kept blowing fuses. So I had to call an electrician to install a sub-panel so that we could plug in our 250 feet of extension cords. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to run out our dozen and a half inflatables. It is you ridiculous. have a Christmas operation. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a it's a lot. Dude, give that 20 years and people are gonna be driving through your neighborhood. They're gonna go out of their way yeah. to come see your like light festival that you've got going on in your yard. That's it's a true. thought. I live in the middle of nowhere, but maybe someday I'll put I'll put an ad on Facebook and be like, "Come look." Oh, they'll find they'll find you. It, it'll go so like a neighbor will post it. It'll go viral, and then you'll have a bunch of people coming through. There's, well, there's one person you guys would love this because uh, you're big into it. Um, there's one person in Augustine, which is a, an adjacent neighborhood here in Stafford, about ten minutes away. We go every year and we look at the lights. And there's one guy. Then that's the kind of neighborhood where they do like the the trophies for the best lights and stuff like that yeah. this guy always wins it's one of those ones where you turn your radio on and it plays like carol of the bells and his whole house is chevy chase style lights 
like an equalizer on an 80s uh, hi-fi. Like wow. it's boom, 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 boom. And like the lights will go on in different colors and patterns. It is wild. We'll sit there for a half an hour and just listen to three different songs. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome. I got a question. All right, before we before we move on to other very important conversation topics, <laughs> uh, what's your favorite holiday tradition? Favorite holiday tradition? Oh, um, Christmas cookies. Christmas. Yeah. When do you do them? What do you do? What's the... So I... My mom was also a huge baker. My oh. mom actually had a baking business out of our house when we were growing up. It, it was sort of a good thing and a bad thing because it, I don't know, I developed some like emotional eating things based upon my mom's baking business. But um, candy cane cookies, I make a really yeah. great candy cane cookie that a lot of like my, some, one of my one cousin, I always send photos of the candy cane cookies to him mm -hmm. because nobody in my family makes them anymore except me okay um so i used to sort of make them mid-december but now i'm like a like a couple days before christmas kind of girl because they mm -hmm. i have boys in my house and if i make them too early they plow through them gone yeah yeah and it's just annoying yeah and they don't help you know they're just like helping oh no no they're consumers. You, you, you got you got like candy cane carcasses laying around they're gonna finish them off like they're, yeah. they're vulnerable they're gonna eat them they're gonna be eaten um, how about you, Peyton? What's your, uh, what's your, what's your preferred holiday tradition? Oh, for Christmas would be, uh, who would definitely be our day after Christmas party. So, uh, big family, largely in Northern Virginia when I was a kid, but as we got older, there was a bit of a diaspora where we all spread out. Right. And now we're all the way down on the middle peninsula and there's people in Spotsylvania and Fairfax and Maryland. So what we do is everybody does their own thing, Christmas Eve, church, whatever. Um, and then Christmas day. And then the day after Christmas, everybody drives to my grandmother's house and has for like 20 years. And we all just have a potluck and exchange gifts and do That's like, fun. it's yeah. So everybody gets to enjoy their holiday and you're guaranteed like an extra day. Everybody's going to take off. And then you go and you just kind of relax and eat and then come home. It's pretty good. It's a great, it's a great tradition. I've been trying to get Festivus to take off in my family, but I can't. I can't get it. A holiday for the rest of us. Yes. <laughs> Are you familiar with Festivus from Seinfeld? Yeah. The data air grievances. That's my favorite part. And uh, what is it like? Feats of strength. Yes, feats of yeah. strength. <laughs> it's I good fun. Uh, I'll be honest. You get enough Greek rednecks together on the Middle Peninsula at my grandma's house, and it's going to be airing grievances and feats of strength either way. <laughs> yeah, so you know, without even it being intentional. Oh, yeah. No, it's less common on Christmas, but our, our usual Father's Day, Grandma's Birthday combo where we have yeah. our overnight party or yeah. Easter, which, you know, is big for in my family. Uh, I think last year my cousin got his, his lights knocked, like literally might have been knocked unconscious, and he is in his early 40s. <laughs> like <laughs> Like what was wrong, girl? And got stuck. I love it. I love it. All right, so I'm gonna give you guys one that could be a game changer for you. Okay. So maybe like four or five years ago, I was told about the Bush Gardens Festival of Lights. Hmm. Have you been? No. No. All right. So if you had any type of childhood magical experience around Santa and like snow and presents and stuff, they create this environment that is like it's outstanding and it's christmas through all the countries 
So you oh, go wow. through like Germany and they have the beer hall and they've got people like doing the dancing in the middle of the beer hall. It's all decorated with Christmas trees and they're playing these things. And you got Santa's workshop and you go and you get photos and they'll give like little gifts. They got hot chocolate, but they got hot chocolate with like booze in it because of course like Anheuser-Busch owns it. And like we go and our kids are now, you know, my oldest will be 18. We got 16, 15, 14. And they, they are like, it's the most magical experience. And I go and I feed off of that, but also love it. Like, I don't know what it is like, but it's the closest I've ever had to feeling like I was a kid on Christmas day as an adult. Now, when do you go in the season? Really? So we're going, yeah, they're kind of expensive tickets. Well, I mean, I guess it's relative, but like if you go on a weekend, one, it's packed Two, it's like $70 a person. So we go during the week. So we're going, I think we got our tickets for like December 5th and it was like $30 a person because it was like off peak hours. Yeah. We go early in the season. The, the closer you get to Christmas, the more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. So worth it. So we'll go down, we'll stay the night, the night before, and then we'll wait and we don't go over to the to, to it until like three or four in the afternoon. And then it gets dark and you stay and for the like lights, yeah. yeah, it's awesome. That sounds That's amazing. fun. I used to, my dad, Richard knows, my dad owns a flower shop. My grandfather owned a flower shop and holiday decorating was a big part of our seasonal business starting around this time of year. It's five, six weeks of office buildings, big fancy mansions, Christmas trees, Christmas trees. So I would do like 10 or 15 Christmas trees a year decorated with garlands and everything else. And it is exhausting. So that Bush Gardens conversion must take hundreds of people, hundreds of hours. Like it is it's got millions of lights like they know the exact number we like we set it up we have this many lights and there's the train that goes all the way around it Mm -hmm. so you can get on the train and just ride all the way around the entire thing and just look at like the roller coasters that they put the lights on and like all of the different events and the merry-go-rounds and like they transform it it is the north pole when you go it's out Uh, i love it i love it very cool that sounds fun i'll have to check it out so let's yeah. backtrack. You mentioned your mom owned a baking business. Yes. So she let's did. go. Let's go not that far back to your youth, mm-hmm. and talk about where you came from. Where'd you grow up? What was mom and dad doing? What brought you to where you are? So I grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people still, you know, I, I I have a very direct, no bullshit style, yeah. and a lot of people just you know say that's from New Jersey. Um, but I'm from South Jersey, which I like to say is like an entirely different state than mm-hmm. North Jersey. North Jersey, right. So I grew up at the beach. My whole family really still lives there. Um, but I was one of four kids growing up. So my mom had this baking business out of our out of our house. And my dad was an artist. My dad was his whole entire life. He built custom hot rods for a living. Um, so we had a very very unconventional in that uh aspect because i was always you know we were always in like really cool cars um it was just something that i grew up around and then i moved down here in 20 or 2008. okay yeah and i've been here ever since what brought you here in 2008. oh i came here um, I, it, it was my ex-husband, uh, we had to relocate for his, uh, career. 
Oh God! Yeah. People yeah. always move for love or money. No, yeah. no, my clients laugh, but it's always true. There's only two. But I like it. I mean, I feel like that our, my kids are really fortunate because mm-hmm. there's this area has so much to offer. Like I love where mm-hmm. I grew up. Uh, I miss the beach. I miss my family, but I, you know, chose to stay here. Yeah. Right. So. Now, how do you find? I've always found as a Northern Virginia native. Yeah. Uh, I don't say like people are not conservative politically, but they're just very buttoned up around here. Like everybody's got like a boring job that they either can't talk about, or if they do, it puts you to sleep. And so you come from Jersey and like you mentioned, you have sort of a straight, no bullshit attitude. Do you feel that you can sometimes steamroll the doe-eyed natives or the transients from the middle America in your day-to-day interactions? Um, it, it will, it's obviously very, it's a noticeable difference here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like obviously there's successful people everywhere. Um, but there's a large quantity of people like where I grew up that are still there that still remain. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, like my sister is, uh, very successful. She's a partner in one of the largest firms in like the tri-state area. Wow. Um, attorney and she obviously has like advanced but there's a lot of there's a lot of differences mm-hmm. um i don't know i guess i just try not to compare the two areas and just be thankful for what they both offer yeah northern virginia to me has always been a little bit it's an odd comparison but it's almost like a like a like a resort i like community yeah where a lot of people come with their money and then the people who grew up here are like well, thank you, but also I'm just gonna go pick up some sweats at Target. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've got. Uh, I'm curious because you've told me a few things that like you did in your youth and growing up, but tell us a little bit about like the activities that you enjoyed, the things that you did, because I'm really want to get a picture of. You know, we've, we've got a little bit of like obviously your upbringing, what your parents did, and 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 then you have siblings. But like really what made you who you are today, right? The experiences, the things, things that really stand out that if someone was like, I need to know about Melissa in 10 minutes or less, tell okay. me all of the most critically important things. I think it's honestly, I think it's a really simple, quick answer. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think one of the things that I'm most proud of in myself is my work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, I always go all in for things. And I can tell you the origin of it. So, and it was sort of late in like in my youth, but when I was 12, I was in sixth grade, I just decided one of my like best friends had like moved away next door neighbor. And I always kept in touch with her just during the summer. And I went to visit her and she joined the swim team. And I remember coming home and I said to my parents that I wanted to join the swim team. My dad jumped on the idea because he had been a swimmer. So I got in the pool, had no formal training. I didn't really even know the strokes. I remember crying a couple of times because I was frustrating, but I did it. Long story short, I stuck with it. I was all in and I went to a division one school on a full ride. Um, and it taught me like it's lessons that I have carried with me my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like the simple answer for so many things of, you know, um, my work ethic, my organization, because a lot of when you are doing anything at like a high level, 
right? And um, you and I were talking about this the other day. I feel like everybody has done something in like a, a high in a high level, a high rate, high success, and you can take that and translate it to areas of business, right? Mm-hmm. Or production and um, look for ways that you were able to succeed in those areas. And I feel like that's um, sort of what I did. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I want to know a little bit more about this swimming career because you don't accidentally get a division one full ride scholarship to a school. First off, what were some noteworthy accomplishments that you had through your swimming career that maybe led up to that offer? And where did you swim? So I just started off in Ocean City, New Jersey at a small little pool in town was the Ocean City Sea Serpents is who I originally Ooh. swam for, right? They got fun names. I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, it really wasn't until my sophomore year of high school that I really was starting to perfect and get serious. Mm-hmm. And I realized my potential. Yeah. I was dropping a lot of time. I had also started swimming for, you know, like a secondary team, like a U.S. swim team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, my parents had probably, I don't know, like the actual financial commitment, but probably had dished out a chunk of money for, I had a coach that only had, there was like five of us that he coached in the morning um, before school. And then I also swam after school. And I just learned a lot and I was around more successful people than I, right? So, so out of the five, where did you fall in terms of talent? Like talent. So like I wasn't, you know, the fastest girl in our little gaggle. Um, and that was very helpful because that like pushes you, right? That's mm-hmm. the challenge. That's something to strive for. And you know, there is no real, you know, crazy stories with the swimming. It was a very boring life. Um, My sister went and and went to college, like the traditional way, like she went to a private school, she went to Ursinus in Pennsylvania, she the whole sorority thing. And I remember, she was in college when I was a freshman and I would take this like casino Mm -hmm. bus to go visit her and her (laughs) collegiate time was like the antithesis of mine right i was in bed at nine o'clock every night because i had to swim at four o'clock in the morning so it it, you know you're there for a reason i fully understood the reason but i mean i don't know my swimming my swimming life in that time was like very boring and like routine Mm -hmm. and monotony and structured um but yet it worked it did work i'm very thankful for it and i have a lot of good memories you still swim? I can save myself. <laughs> um, so it's funny. I actually went on to, when I was in high school, I um, became, I had tried out and I was one of six at the time, um, female members of the Ocean City Beach Patrol. So I was a open water mm-hmm. guard for seven years. And in gosh, was it 2013? I was inducted into the hall of fame because I became, I was a competitor uh, for the beach patrol. And I was like, oh gosh, like I was going to have this like big ceremony that summer. And I 
was really confident in my swimming ability. But what I did was I was running all the time because like, mm -hmm. I just like how I feel healthier when I run. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I signed up to do this open water race and I was running an excessive amount every day. And I was like, oh, my car, I'm in such great cardiovascular health. I can just get in. Anybody can get in and race a mile, right? <laughs> well, I honestly, I thought I was going to die. And all I kept thinking the whole time was like, I can't bail out of this race and be inducted into the Hall of Fame in the same, like, the same summer, right? Oh, that would just wow. be terrifying. But that was the first time and the last time in my adult life that I raced. Oh, so you said you swim a mile? Is it you said it was, it was a, just a mile? Yeah, just a life. mile. Swimming a mile is not something most people would would take for granted. So no. I'm going to say that you were you're definitely leveraging your many many years of competitive experience there. If somebody told me I had to swim a mile, I would be like, okay, well I'm going to die. I'm I'm going to drop <laughs> in the water, and 400 yards later. I'm going to drown to death. It's going to be horrible and clumsy and, and terrible. Don't let my kids watch. I mean, that's not like in the, like the Navy SEAL trainings that I watch. Like I'll watch like what they do. It's <clears throat> like getting through like hell week and, and, and all those things like super duper hard, but a lot of people wash out on the water stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Breath, people like, are scared of it. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. That, that's that's no small weird. Dude. As, as like my dad was a junior Olympian and he didn't oh, wow. go nearly as far as you did, but like in his 10, 12, 13, 14, he was very competitive in the region. And so coming up when I was a baby, like I was born in May and I was swimming before I was walking. Like, so yeah. I, I have a, a adopted brother who can't swim. He's 40 and he does not, he's wears a life vest in six feet of water. He's terrified. Oh, wow. Like he just has no, and I don't, it, isn't it weird? Like I, I it's not a disrespect thing, but not being comfortable in the water. Like I love the water. It's like you're flying, right? It's amazing. It is. I'll tell you a funny story about that though, because, um, so I had my first son when I was 21, like, right. Mm -hmm. I actually got pregnant when I was in college, my senior Shout year. Shout out having kids at 21. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he's just, I mean, he honestly, like he's just a gem, but I raised him like he was a baby and I was living in New Jersey on the beach. I took him to the beach every day and I used to take that kid so far out. All my kids. I had two other sons after that. Um, but I enabled my boys to feel so mm -hmm. comfortable and confident in the water that this past summer, my, uh, my 18 year old son, I actually had to talk to him because he, you know, we moved here in 2008. He's mm -hmm. not on the beach every summer, but I have instilled this confidence in the water. And he was making me a nervous wreck <laughs> on the beach. And like my sister was with me and she just kept, you know, giving me eyes because these kids are just like, you know, open water is much, you guys know, is much different oh, yeah. than the pool. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And this kid was out there and I was just, I honestly, I, I hollered at him because I was like, you don't know what you're doing and you're so far out. I don't want to have to go rescue you. Um, so that was probably not good that I did that. I just had those kids in the water so far out their no. whole life. <laughs> Confidence is is a gift that you can, you, you, it's, I think it's a double-edged sword, like you say, but ultimately age will bring wisdom, you know, as long as you can reel them in yeah. enough times to stay safe. 
And that confidence is going to carry through though. Like I'm old. I got a bad knee. I can't swim for shit anymore. Like I used to, but my body's not, but you, but my boys are very young, but yeah. both of them, like they're in the water swimming this summer and they love it. And they're doing flips off the dock and it's all good. And that's not something I would have had if I hadn't, it hadn't trickled down from their grandfather who it's now true. is in his sixties and is a little older himself. So it's, I think it's confidence is good. Start with confidence. Wisdom yeah. will come with age either way. It's, it's a lot harder to get confident when you're old. Yeah. You know, my and, buddy, my, my buddy d- doesn't know how to swim. And I remember at one point, like he told me that I was just like, you what? And like, I went and like taught him. We never, we never finished. I don't remember what happened, but like we were working on it. And I'll be honest with you. The one thing that kept coming to my mind is like, stop freaking out, dude. You right. turn into like a rigid rock and then you just drown. Like, stop doing that. Like, you just be like loosey goosey in the water. Like, you got to tread water. Like, relax. Be a little bit confident, but it's like terrifying. It's but terrifying. there's honestly water. Water is scary. That's what happened, Richard, by the way. He was terrified and didn't want to learn. He's like, 70% of the earth's surface is water, but the other 30%, I'm good. So I'm just going to stick to that and I'm solid. I think that's probably what happened. But water is kind of a good analogy because anything you try is scary if you oh, yeah. aren't acclimated to it. That's kind of sort of yeah. what I was speaking to about the confidence. It doesn't matter. Swimming, sure, that's a good object lesson. But ultimately, the confidence to pursue any goal with enough of a basis of understanding of yourself and your capabilities and your ability to learn is a huge part of any endeavor. So you mentioned that this helped to teach your work ethic. Now, as you left college and you were raising kids, which I was old as hell. My, I was 32 when my first son was born. So I had a very different experience than you guys. And, and I'm old as hell. Uh, but you're like what was it like? Okay. You left Aaron. school. You had a, a, a kid. You're starting your career. You're doing whatever you're doing. And then you began to, to the path to where you are now. What was that like? So it was interesting. So I was a single mom for a chunk mm-hmm. of time. And then I was a stay-at-home mom after I had two more boys. And I I did graduate from college. I graduated with a dual degree in elementary and special ed. And I got back into education, but a very specialized field of special education called ABA therapy. Um, and I was very interested in it because my 18-year-old son was diagnosed on the spectrum mm-hmm. when he was two. So the therapy is, it's in, it was, well, the, the company that I worked for was a home-based services um, and it is taking, it's the most, it's the gold standard in teaching kids on the autism spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So you take any task and you break it down into measurable steps before you can jump to the next one. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of data collection. Um, and I really enjoyed that we, my family, my son had tremendous amount of success doing it. Mm-hmm. Um and then eventually over time, I just got sick. I just like, I wanted to do something that did not involve kids. Like I didn't really want to be around kids, mm-hmm. right? I loved my sons, but I just wanted to be around the adult mind. So I loved, you know, we were talking about this this morning. Like I love homes, like, mm-hmm. like design is a passion of mine. Um, and I can tell from like one screen image of your house. I'm like, yeah, yeah she's Oh yeah, I like it. So I have no formal formal training, but I just like to do it, right? She dabbles in the decorating. I dabble in decorating too. And I got, so I started, I 
decided I was going to become a real estate assistant. So I got a job mm-hmm. as just a basic administrator for an independent agent down in Old Town, Alexandria. Really liked it, acquired some skills. I knew that I was a good worker, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew that that work ethic would really translate into any industry. I just wanted to find something that made me happy. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like that, that dynamic was not, didn't really work for me for a couple of reasons. It was far from my house. I was living in Leesburg at the time. Oh, yeah. um, and then the actual agent probably wasn't, we weren't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Then I just stumbled upon a job ad for a, what was a, a fairly newly formed team at the time. Mm-hmm. And I got the job. So I just went in for an interview and they called me that same day and it was a, a very large team in the area. One of it, we grew to be one of the largest teams in the, um, the whole, whole Northern Virginia area. And I stuck with it. I started off as I think my original title at the time was client care coordinator. Mm-hmm. Basically I started handling all of the transaction coordination for the team co-owners, doing basic administrative duties, the client events. I was the runner, lock boxes, Mm -hmm. riders, just pretty much, you know, anything that you can think of, I was doing it. And then as we grew the team to, it it was, uh, we were up at 45 when I stepped away about a year ago. Uh, I had six support staff under me and I just had like moved through the organization, learned a tremendous amount and really perfected my skills and like perfected Mm -hmm. my leadership within the organization and just managing people and really being um, comfortable voicing an opinion, right? Mm -hmm. Being confident and comfortable and voicing an opinion and like a direction of where you think something should go. You know what that's interesting is because you don't find that dynamic a lot in someone who's in a leadership but support role feeling comfortable speaking up when not asked to, right? Like volunteering, like, hey, guys, here's an opportunity. A lot of the people that I've worked with in like a higher level executive um, assistant type of role or director role, a lot of times they're great at taking the instruction and doing it. But in terms of going like, I want to add to this or yeah. I want to contribute, that's not a common trait. And I think that probably served you very well. It And it happened authentically. It, I mean, it did happen over time too, because I remember as I was listening to things, I will say too, that was like a, a fab. And I always tell new agents, new support staff, it's kind of like difficult time right now because a lot of people are still working from home. But mm-hmm. If you have the availability or the option to be in that office environment, I mean, it is a tremendous learning experience. Mm-hmm. And I was just really paying attention to like everything that was going on around me, like the conversations having to do with transactions or um, business planning that was going on. And I would, I guess, I started becoming a little bit vocal about it. And then my, the leadership at the time, the two team owners started, you know, popping their head out of their meetings and saying, Hey, can you come in here and like, listen to this and tell us what you think? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. 
So, and I was, I always would tell them what I thought. A lot of times they would listen, you know, a lot of times it was sort of uh, like between the three of us, maybe two of us were seen. It was like a tiebreaker, right? Mm -hmm. Two of us were seen eye to eye and one person wasn't. Um, and, and that's really how it happened. And I, I enjoyed that. What's fascinating to me is your background in self-determination in literally being the best at not drowning, which is yeah. what swimming starts out as, right? You're and then combining that with uh, your being a mom at a relatively young age and having mm -hmm. to get through that and then teaching young kids and kids with special needs, real estate agents are very particular. <laughs> <They're> very particular. <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, your ABA where you break things down into yeah. tasks. I don't want to make too direct a comparison, but I feel like in building systems and in your critical analysis of the behaviors of these chickens with their heads cut off, chasing shiny objects, that there must have been an objectivity you could bring to it that a lot of the people kind of in the shit, as they say, might have been lost on them. I find in my own business, that's one of the biggest struggles that I have is, yeah, there's a thousand good ideas. They all make sense. They all take 10 steps to accomplish, which one do you pick because you only need five to make a million dollars but you got to be consistent do you feel that that translated well into your role and that helped to influence how you grew i think i think it did um because i'm super honestly i feel like some of the things that i wish i were were not mm -hmm. was as structured as i am like mm -hmm. i'm i am some ocd i'm super structured can be a little rigid um, but I think that has served me in business, right? Mm -hmm. Because I am able to like take a step back and sort of plan out and structure things that may not be viewed as structurable. Is that mm -hmm. a word? Uh, for, for other people, right? I always tell Richard and I were talking about this. I was talking to one of my agents about this the other day. I always tell people, I think people are scared. Mm -hmm. Agents are scared of like this, the word systemization. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they, they feel a little overwhelmed or confused about what, how to build a system or what it is. And I always tell people to sort of take a step back from thinking of systemization in business mm -hmm. and look at it from like your personal life, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, I feel like it's much easier to do um, we all have kids here. Mm -hmm. I can't say you pack lunches for your little kids, Peyton, but maybe you do like, yeah, you know, funny. think about like systems that you've implemented into your life just to make whatever task you're doing more streamlined and efficient. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's very helpful. And that's what I have done, you know, over time is just to really look at it from a different perspective um, know the goal and then break it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I think we talked about it just briefly, but this is something that over the many years I've been working, um, as an agent and then ultimately in, uh, leading and managing agents and then in developing them is what I found to be kind of this common trait is that some of the best salespeople who tend to be drawn to this industry, what they love is not being put in a box, right? Yeah. They don't do well in a nine to five. They don't do well sitting behind a computer all day. They don't do well with a boring business model. 
because they love the, oh, it's chaotic. Like a lot of agents will get really stressed when a lot of things are going on at once. They're putting out fires, but then they'll turn around and they'll go, well, I'm not, I don't feel busy right now. So I don't really feel like I'm doing well in my business. And they don't necessarily correlate. It's like, oh, because people aren't ready to jump off of a bridge and you're trying to talk them off the ledge. You're not busy and productive like that. That, that isn't the way it is. And most industry out there doesn't work like that way right and so they come yeah. into this industry and they go don't put me in a box don't make me do these things i want to be a free spirit i want to be out there floating around like you know i want my life to be just me existing and and the real estate be just part of that and uh and i think what's 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 interesting is they they lose the fact that they're so afraid of falling into that kind of category that that's what their life is going to look like in a business that's organized and systemized yeah whatever that they avoid it they're like oh i gotta you know i gotta I'm, I'm gonna push back on that and i include myself in that and the only reason that i've gotten to the place where i can accept and understand the importance of that organization is because i realized i was making mistakes that went against what my mission what my standards were as a person and working with other people yeah my favorite metaphor about uh, our industry is uh, is music because that was my my background and it's like there's Mozart and there's Miles Davis, right? There's Mozart's remembered because at the dawn of the classical age, he wrote the most classically perfect music you could. Bach is another example. It's very rigid. It's very structured, but then it starts to flow out. The Miles Davis can fill a smoky room with amazing magic, but it's a smoky room. If you want to fill a concert hall and have a five or 700 year legacy, it takes adherence to those systems the beatles another great example the yeah. standard chords ba, 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 ba. you know one four five three one is every song they ever wrote until their last album but it becomes the basis for everything else and if you go listen to miles davis and break it down he's playing the same chords he just creates a jazz around it and that i think is the balance between major systems and composition in the moment improvisation that scratches the itch of a lot of the people that Richard was talking about. I, as a developing agent myself, coming at it from exactly the wrong, the, not the wrong, but the opposite side, sometimes yeah. the wrong side. The system side is like, I guess I've done this five times. I should write that down and make sure I schedule it. And then I forget it one out of five times. Yeah. I do it, you know, in line at the grocery store. So it's something I greatly admire. You say OCD, I see a perfectly clean house that's beautifully appointed. I go upstairs and I have a great house. And great kids, but it is just baby central up there. So that amount of specificity and control of your your environment creates a mastery that I, that must be very empowering for you for you day to day. And now you get to share that with others, which is pretty cool. I like it. <laughs> so what inspired you? You said you parted with your team about a year ago without getting into the nitty gritty of that. Where have you gone since? Uh, what so I have um, I parted with my team a year ago, just out on a limb. I just you know are you. Just know when it's your time to branch mm -hmm. out, right? And I took a leap of faith and sort of uh, jumped on with a very successful independent agent that wanted to grow a team. Learned a lot of lessons from that. From that, mm -hmm. um, and maybe not, you know, as much as you learn, you know, you want to learn positive lessons those negative lessons are just as valuable, mm -hmm. right? So in each opportunity that we're given, you're given those like those good things, those good takeaways, but then mm -hmm. you learn like, oh, I don't want to do that or this is not for me. Um, and I sort of just got through a time, I, my dad passed away this past winter 
And I was just like, you know what, this isn't for me. I've learned a lot over the course of these last months. And I had a tremendous amount. One of the things that I feel like I was very valuable to my last team is I developed a lot of friendships, very Mm -hmm. good friendships. And I was a, even though I was on the leadership team, I was a good liaison between Mm -hmm. the agent partners and then the leadership, right? So I had I had a lot of like feedback, hmm. questions, comments coming in to me um, as as because I wasn't a co-owner, right? I think that they felt like I wouldn't be as offended with the feedback, and you know sometimes I completely ignored some of the things I was hearing, but other times like. I would, I was able to take the info and maybe deliver it in a softer way. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sometimes good, sometimes bad. But my point is uh, those people, I, I'm still in contact with all of these people. I had so many agents reaching out to me. Oh, you know, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can you help me with this? So I just decided to start doing that. Mm-hmm. I started, you know, helping people. It was a real authentic um growth by just referral. So, and then, you know, I was helping an agent friend of mine and then met Richard. I had obviously uh, known of Richard, but we had never met in person. And that sort of took, you know, took me up to today, present day. And so what's the, what's the name of the company and that you're, you're doing business through right now? So it's the leveraged agent. So I am helping agents that are, you know, either independent agents, uh, fully formed teams or independent agents that are just looking to start teams right now with operational services. And that can mean anything, team agreements, value proposition, recruiting, um, you name it. I have experience with all of it. I love it. And, uh, and what kind of stuff do you have coming up here? You know, uh, we're, we're, we've collaborated on something, so I'm excited about what you tell us. We have, we, so we're doing the team talk workshop on Tuesday and I'm excited about the team talk workshop. It's funny because I was talking to another really good friend of mine before, you know, this was birthed. This is all like talking about this stuff and operations and organization. I don't think it's anything special because it's just the way my brain operates. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I was even talking, I think you may have been on the call that we were on and I was like, I don't think that this is really anything of value to anybody because like, don't we all know this? And my friend was like, Melissa, we don't all know this. Like, this is not, you know, I need help with this. So I put together a workshop that's really an all encompassing um all encompassing topics to team building or really scaling and and frankly there's even value in there for the independent agent that is just looking to streamline their you know organization mm-hmm. their operation so it is talking all things right all things operation marketing client care uh SOPs how to leverage an assistant, how to use an assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that uh, it will be of a lot of value to everybody that's coming. So you mentioned uh, your, your dad passing. I'm very sorry to hear about that. That's awful. But he saw you reach these 
these new heights yeah. prior to that. What did your art, your parents who are artists by your own, you know, description, what did they think of birthing a mad scientist swim champion? Like what, what was that like to have it like them see you grow into this, especially from, you know, some earlier choices that might've delayed your, your later tremendous success. That's a good question. Um, I know that they were proud. That goes without saying you're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I know that they were proud. That's that's phenomenal. Those conversations around the Thanksgiving table must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what 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 kind of uh, life lessons that that kind of came from that. You know, your mom was passionate about you know baking huh. and, and doing those things, and your dad. You know, it's not every day you meet somebody who goes, "I love this thing, and I'm going to find a way to do it for the rest." Yeah, of Yeah, it's life. actually obviously I'm upset about this is still just a, like a really raw topic for me. Yeah. Um, because we're, I'm still very much like involved. Like my dad left behind this like tremendous legacy. Mm -hmm. And um, one of like the lessons that we learned, like so many people, like my dad had like a really big network of people like that, that community is very, um, connected mm -hmm. and so many people have approached me I, I don't know if you saw you guys saw on my like facebook page i met up with some men that had known of my dad because my dad was like well known i mean he was 72 and he'd been doing this his whole entire life right. mm -hmm. so he was well known within the community like nationwide and they were like you know what i really admire your dad because he was able to do whatever it was that he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And my dad just didn't give a shit. Like my dad, <laughs> like he did. My dad did not give a shit. Like if anybody thought anything about him, he was just, my sister and I die laughing about this all the time because my dad would always, he was, let me backtrack. One of my dad's friends, because, you know, I just got done telling you I'm super structured. I'm mm -hmm. super rigid. My sister is an attorney. You know what right. comes with that, right? And my, one of my dad's friends was like, how did Joe raise you two girls? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because my dad, if you met him, you would be like, that's your dad, right? He was, it was just a quirky, fun, fly by the seat of your pants, do whatever you want kind of guy. So the lesson that's this is a long-winded answer to your it's a great question, answer but yeah. it's just you know to really take that into consideration in life and really do find joy in those things and like how important that is um in feeling uh satisfied with what you're doing in life and and happy and like that's one of the things like that my dad said to me right before he passed is like, he's like, I had a good life. Mm -hmm. oh and like, God. isn't that like be able to say um, about your life when it's, you know, coming to the end, like mm -hmm. that, that's a goal, right? You know, it's interesting. They've interviewed a lot of um, elderly individuals who are like hospice care and like knew their yeah. lives were winding down, kind of had like the shot clock and could see where they were going. It wasn't a sudden passing. And they've interviewed them and asked, you know, like, how do you like reflecting on your life? How do you feel about it? And like, there is a large majority of individuals that look back and they don't think like I could have done more in my career. Or I could have made yeah. more money. They always think I wish I had made more time for the things I love. 
Mm-hmm. And like hearing you just describe your dad, not not to make you emotional or anything like yeah. that, but I want to say this because <laughs> nice, I think nice. it's important. <laughs> when we're thinking about this, like I just stood in front of a room yeah. of like 40 people yesterday and we talked about what success is to each yeah. of us. And we spend so much time letting success be defined by our peers and people mm-hmm. who aren't us. And your dad didn't give up. Fuck! I love it. And he might be one of the most successful people I've ever heard of that he could say that when he knew that he didn't have much time left and he could look at you and he could say, you know what? I enjoyed my life. And he did. I mean, he didn't know he, he didn't have a long drawn out illness. Actually the, the time, the day he died was the day that he found out what was wrong with him. So it, it sort of, you know, came from nowhere. And I was obviously upset about it. And that's what he said to me is don't be sad for me. Like I, I did it. Like mm-hmm. I had a great time in my, in my uh, 72 years. So. And that's the thing is in learning about you, what's clearly, be, you know, what you've clearly shared with us is you're an exceptional woman and you've not hesitated to take your gifts and your strengths and your passions and share them with people and build a very fine life for yourself. You know, from at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned your love of Christmas decorations, and I haven't stopped admiring them since <laughs> started talking. Your your dining room, I assume, is absolutely lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's just right finding the little things in life. I think that's like a big takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, you know, in the beginning, you, Richard, you were saying your wife, like it really is like the little joys and that's the way i try to live my life i've always been this is independent of my dad passing away um i've always like why not surround your your yourself with things that make you happy mm-hmm. wayne's coding board and baden makes me happy <laughs> you know what i mean so i'm just like i i like to just look at like the you know the little things in life and just get joy out of those because guess what there's a lot of shitty things in life there are you know? yeah everybody and- has adversity or really bad things that they have to overcome so you know look for the little things it's one of my favorite i was watching i was on tiktok i have i had real estate tiktok homework recently and i was watching yeah, this yeah. comedian and he was talking about uh participation trophies for small children in sports like five to eight yeah. year olds and he's yeah. like oh yeah the people who crap all over participation trophies like oh they need to learn about disappointment what are you doing giving everybody a trophy my, my son is in in baseball now he's six and they yeah. all get a trophy and he's like what's my trophy for we won and i'm like you participated and you managed to make a pyramid of dirt in the outfield it was great um but the guy's like yeah so people crap all over them and they're like why are they doing this they need to learn about adversity and whatever and he's like yeah that's that's life life's gonna do that it's like take a moment of joy out of the fact that you pursued a passion and ring it for everything it's worth and put your little silly baseball glove trophy on the on the mantle and celebrate those memories because life is gonna bring life life brings life yeah. Go ahead and just take that moment of joy and commemorate it with a little trophy for your seven-year-old kid. There's plenty of time to compete when you're older. And I think that as you get older, like Richard mentioned, like you've mentioned, it becomes so focused on competition, on comparison, which can be, as we know, the thief of joy mm-hmm. that you mentioned again, COVID kind of changing things up for you. I think it did help to teach us like, put your joy first, you know, mm-hmm. hell or yeah. high water, take the time for your joy. We're staring at each other in sweatpants for, a hundred first days making a lot of peppermint cookies at that during that stage metaphorically yeah i i remember i remember you know it, it has been kind of a lesson i think i've learned and can kind of add to this conversation that 
there was a time in my life where I looked at things that brought me joy and they made me feel guilty. Like, mm -hmm. how could I feel joy in that thing that doesn't have a purpose, right? It brings me joy, but I shouldn't do it because, you know, it's like, well, no, if it brings you joy, do it. Like, yeah. it, it goes like this concept of play. Like, when you're kids, you play effortlessly. You do those things that make you happy. You experience things with friends. You let your feelings mm -hmm. run a little wild at times. And then uh, and, and you have these wonderful experiences. And then we become adults and we get in these little boxes and in the, the rat wheel or, you know, the, the rat race of, of, of being an adult. And, uh, yeah, I want to have a little bit more fun. I want to be a little bit more silly. I am like I used to be embarrassed by, like, the music I liked or the drinks that I would order. And now I'm like, dude, give me a Shirley Temple all day, every day. That shit is delicious. I do not care. I will crush Shirley Temple in front of you. Do you and like Shirley like, Temples? I haven't had one for a long time. I I'm, like, I'm not actually a big drinker. So yeah. I'm all about Shirley Temples. Yeah, like, Shirley Temples are the bomb. That's my that's my alcohol-free cocktail. And throw a fucking umbrella in it. I, it's going to be fun. Like, it's going to be a great time had by all. Why do I need to apologize for that? I used to feel like I had to be yeah, like, you know. shameful of it. It's like, no, I like Shirley Temple. There was a study recently done where kids under school age, and you, Melissa, might speak to this as a as a your educational background teacher, but uh, the average under school age child laughs up to 400 times a day. Oh, wow. Up to 400 times they smile or laugh or feel that spark of joy. And the average adult, four times a day. Four oh times. God, that's so yeah. sad. And so speaking to that, it's, it's amazing. But that's what, again kind of astonishes me about your journey. You were in a successful role and then re reimagined yourself as an individual, as a leader, and then yeah. have taken that. I find that inspirational as a person who enjoyed coaching uh, and has enjoyed coaching, like you taking it to a team level is something I really hold in high respect. I think it's pretty incredible that you're able to do that. Now, but what's next? So you're continuing to grow. You've got this exciting event you're doing. And then beyond work, like what do you do when you're not being a team building phenom like what keeps you busy other than interior decoration um so i like i have a little dog so i have okay. a and between the two of us we have six kids um mm -hmm. so we have 22 21 18 18 16 and 14. Whew. so we're busy doing that mm -hmm. um i have a little baby dog that mm -hmm. i he's a little doggy boy that i really <laughs> like um and just really like spending time with my spending time with my husband mm -hmm. so he's in a very demanding role my husband has been um in the air force for 32 years Whew, that blows my yeah, mind That's 32 awesome. years of service so he has a really demanding job and just sort of supporting him in any way that i can mm -hmm. um that's been helpful to him and spending time with my family yeah how is, uh, I mean, you've been in this area for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. How have you avoided, how has he avoided not having to travel? Well, Move. he has. So at one point, um, so it's funny you ask that. So the higher you get up within the organization, you know, like the fewer the, the, fewer the roles. Right. So at one point to get, he, he's a colonel right now, but. In order to get that, he moved away for 18 months. Oh. Yeah. So oh, he wow. lived, now not far, but he was living in Delaware, but that takes a toll. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so he had a little one bedroom apartment that we got him and he was there for 18 months and we were here. And then I can't, I can't say we saw each other every weekend, mm -hmm. but I mean, within reason, 
maybe once a month, something will come up that he um, couldn't come back or I couldn't drive up there. I think our game plan originally when that happened was like Delaware is really close to Jersey. And I was like, oh, this will feel familiar to me. And we went up with the kids and we went to a, I don't know, it was like Outback or something. And we were having dinner and I said, I referenced maybe moving to Delaware mm -hmm. and my youngest son just burst into tears. Oh. Burst into tears. <laughs> and it was in that moment that we were like, you know, that's not happening. Right. Um, so he transitioned back here. He is, he has an interesting story because he's an officer now, but he enlisted oh. when he was 18 and he was in the same wing that he's now the vice commander of. Wow. So he, it's cool. sort of like a, it's, it, it is a very interesting story because he's a, the, a large chunk of his career has been at joint base Andrews in the one thirteenth. Mm -hmm. Um, right now he is looking for his next position as a certificate of eligibility to become a one-star general, but, you know, like I just explained, those positions are mm -hmm. few and far between. And we do have, like, we have come to a mutual understanding that if that is not in this area, then that mm -hmm. might not happen for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're we're heading tight in Ashburn. Okay, that's wild. Yeah, that I in my I I mean I don't know if he would be allowed to with his job, but man, that would be cool to have him on the pod. Just to, to yeah, to he totally. You know what? He's a he is. I, I was telling you earlier. I've learned so much. From I know. Him. Yeah, yeah, I mean he he really is. Well, the military just in general teaches you so much, and then he's been in this leadership position for however many years, and he's yeah. responsible. For and he worked his way up. I mean, he started yeah. like he he used to. He was like the groundskeeper when he was a young boy at Joint Base Andrews <laughs> just for like a summer job. And now he's like number two in the organization. And it's just pretty, it, it, I'm impressed by him. Yeah. That's hey, phenomenal. Man, I yeah. worked so hard to get my wife impressed with me ever. And so that's saying something. I'm, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Never, cool. never impressed. Just saying. Never, <laughs> never impressed. Well, I got a funny story. I got a funny story. So I was doing this presentation yesterday, like 40 ages. My wife doesn't ever really get to see me do anything that I was uh -huh. good at. Right. She's just not, she doesn't stay on my calls. She's not in the room when I'm doing one-to-one -one coaching. She doesn't come to my events. Like she's not, that's not her scene. Yeah. Well, I got her to come yesterday and this is probably one of the first ones she's seen. And so she's sitting in the room. There's like 40 agents in there. I'm doing this like mindset motivation, like get there. It's like very compelling. It's emotional. Like I'm really connecting with people on a main level. And I get to this point where I'm talking about like goals and aligning your purpose and stuff. And I go, you know, and I start talking about the spiritual goal within our six circle goals. And I'm like, and a lot of people struggle to understand what that is. They get it confused with religion. Absolutely. Religion can be part of your spirituality. But for like me, for instance, in order for me to feel like my cup is full, I have to spend time with my dog. I love him so much. He's beautiful. And then someone goes, dude, your wife's right there. And it was. <laughs> it was so funny because then i tried my best to like to wheel it back in to wheel it back in of course my family they get their own they get their own circle they're my they're my personal it's my but dude it, it she what she thought it was so funny i was dying on the vine 
but yeah, when you said that story about your dog a minute ago, I was like, yeah, that's my, that's my spiritual goal is cuddling with my dog. Oh my God. They're so awesome because they don't really need anything from you other than like love. Yeah. Yeah. My dog's weird thing though, is he'll like, people will come over and I like stop thinking that it's weird, but then like somebody comes over and I have to explain it. And he'll jump like he's a corgi, so he's got short legs and he likes to be up high. It's like yeah. him on the back of the couch. He's the dog on the back of the couch. Like he loves being up there so he can see what's going on. He shouldn't be, but he is. Yeah. And he wants like anybody that he meets that you've been out of the house coming into the house, he needs to smell your breath because he wants to know <laughs> what you've been eating. Like it's the weirdest thing. So he's all up in your face. Like, breathe on his face. Breathe in his mouth. Like breathe right into his nose. And they're like, I'm not doing that. And I was like, No, no, no. He needs to know. He needs to know if you don't do it, he'll keep jumping on you. I promise. It'll be better for everyone if you just breathe into his nose. And then he does his like, and then he's out. He's out. He's Aww. out. He's out. And he had chicken nuggets for lunch. Good. That's 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 great. That's oh fun. He makes me laugh. Uh, parting thoughts. So this is where we give you kind of a shameless plug. Um, talk to us about what would be helpful. You gave us your time. You let us know about you. What would be something that would be beneficial to you or who would you be looking to help? I know you're working with a lot of agents right now, but what is kind of your intention or target or, or, or who could you help? I can help. I mean, honestly, if you if anybody is looking for any sort of guidance or assistance direction within their business, um, give me a call because I would love to either help you directly or just help you organize your thoughts. I, I do spend a lot of time doing that. Get a lot of calls from, you know, people in my network that just need my ear for a second. I'm really good with that. Love planning events, sort of my specialty. Um, so I, you know, I'm pretty much open within reason. Uh, I do have, you know, my hands, at the moment, but um, you know, I'm open to yeah. always uh, looking for the next opportunity to help somebody grow. I think that's phenomenal. I, I put me on your calendar. Uh, hopefully, while Christmas decorations are still up, because I need what you're selling. <laughs> I was just talking to Richard about this last week, and I was like, "Oh, really? Oh my gosh, so hard." Yeah, for also, sure. It's remarkable because uh, you know, as we've started, like we've only come into each other's circles like within the last month or two. Like it hasn't been that long, and yeah. you know, getting to know you and what you're capable of doing, and like knowing that a little bit more clearly. I've ex I've I've told people that I coach or that I know that are agents who could use the help, and they've reached out, and I've got nothing but like raving reviews. Like, oh, oh that's God. nice. Thanks that for was, sharing that. Of course, of course, we don't yeah. share it enough with people. Like, someone has an experience, and you're over here like, well, who knows? Maybe that was great. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. You know, I could be a bozo. But like, people will come back to me, and they'll go, one of the best conversations I could have had. Like, it's been really, really beneficial. Thank you for recommending to have that conversation. So there's obviously value there. And, uh, and I know you're going to continue to find tons of success and we're excited for team talk on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it has been, right. really good. Thank, yeah, it's been you. Thank you. to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much, Melissa. For yeah. Your thanks time for today. having me guys. I hope Absolutely. you guys have a good weekend. You do the you same. Too. Enjoy All your right. holidays we'll and Tuesday. we will talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Ah, another remarkable person that puts me to shame. I, ah, we need like some real losers in the next couple of we weeks. We need to bring in some losers. Get some L's on the board so we can feel like winners, right? Like so funny drunks that tell cool throwing up in the punch bowl stories. Yeah, like just uh, no ambition. Just, uh, just uh, all about just, well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I may be rethinking things. Maybe they're, maybe they're the real one. Maybe they're the real winners, right? Maybe they're out there just living their best lives, and I'm over here still trying to figure out life. I don't think so. I think Melissa would fall into the category of real winner. Oh, <laughs> so. Without a doubt, it's not even up for debate. She crushes. She kills what a, it. Get on her level. Such an interesting person. It's like I was really excited to get to know her a little bit better. Talk about how humble her life. I'll, it, like it was like an after, like it was like the, it was like the footnote that she was a Division One NCAA swimmer, yeah. and like and it's so humble about it. Like I'm she sure she won lots of races and all, like and, and didn't talk and, about it. Just politely set the table that she was one of the best swimmers in the country when she felt like doing that, and then swam a mile, <laughs> dude. That in the ocean, not in a pool, not in a lap pool. I had a floaty get away from me in the wind at Lake Anna two years ago, and I nearly died swimming 150 yards because my knee gave out. And she's like, I wasn't in the best shape of my life, so I barely made it the full mile swim on open water. We didn't even ask her if she saved anybody. We're idiots. She was a lifeguard for seven years. She's like, I only swam a mile and saved 36 people along the way. And the baby seal. sailboats tackled a barracuda she did it in water you can't even tackle barracudas in water but she figured out a way to do it i'm sure yeah she's so and she could and she'd write down a system for it and she'll she'll teach it to you that's, she'll that's the best part give you the playbook you'll have an sop for barracuda tackling probably Love. not as good as she is but you know in theory you'll be there that's anyway the podcast, that's a podcast title for today melissa oliver tackling barracudas Oh, that's, yeah, that's the definitive thing that we that want to That is definitive. That's the key takeaway, guys. Oh, my gosh. It's, anyway, you. remarkable, remarkable interview. Always amazing to hang with you, Richard. Uh, I got to go visit my grandmother here shortly, so I'm going to get in the car and go over the river and through the woods. Go, go, uh, say hi to Peyton's grandma for me. Tell her I said hi, and have an outstanding weekend. Enjoy the rest of your Veterans Day. Uh, yes. Shout out to all our veterans out there listening in and, and to your loved ones that you know and love that are veterans. And guys, uh, we'll be back with another Action Pack pod here soon. Pew, 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 pew. pew, 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 pew.